Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection was all about new. First time anyone had ever raised themselves from the dead. It's life by God before this, but never one on his own accord. A brand new thing. And I do love the old Christian term, born again. New life, born anew. This resurrection has given us new birth. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, it says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness. Thou should walk in newness of life. It's a completely brand new life. New. Do you desire the new things of the Lord? I have to admit, old enough in the faith, I guess, to say that uh, you've been through highs, you've been through lows as a Christian. Um, you have those moments where you feel really close to the Lord, and then you have moments where you don't feel close at all. You have moments where you just cannot get enough of the Word, reading it for half an hour, hours a day, and then there's times you don't pick it up for days. And sometimes I think I myself can just get numb to the whole process. Just tired of kind of the highs and lows. Tired of myself not wanting the thing I know that I want. Tired of myself uh, just having to, to work at it. I actually believe what I believe. And yet the resurrection the resurrection would sit there and say, listen, my mercies are new for you every single morning. Not that Scripture has changed at all, but newness of depth. That we can read the same Scripture that we have read since childhood and see a new depth and something new and deep and wonderful about our Savior. I don't want to get used to the process. In fact, none of us should. In fact, we should all have newness. And this walk with me because he rose from the dead. Do you remember how it was with the manna? Every single day, brand new manna was found in the morning. Brand new. They got to witness a miracle every single day as Israelites. And it got to the point where the Bible says they hated it. New. Do something with my students. I have this whole thing on grains and flour, and I play a little game. We go around the room. I say, all you have to do is name something that's been made with flour. Usually they don't win, only because I like to win as a teacher. But then we go over it. I cannot imagine all the foods we eat that are made flour. I say that. What they could have made out of the manna, I'm no scholar, but I bet you they could have made a lot of different things. And it was new every single day. And it got point where they hated it and they weren't satisfied with it the resurrection brings us back to this newness of life the resurrection says listen you've been born anew and every single day there's new mercies for you every single day there's a depth to my character that i can unveil to you 
that you don't know yet. Wait till you get to know my love even more. You thought you knew my wisdom? Let me just show you a little more. I don't want to be numb to the process. It's so easy as believers numb and feel like we're being fake. I don't want to get numb to it. I'll take the highs and the lows. I want to get to the point where, again, I sit there with my Savior and I say, you know what? You're alive. Show me something new. We would understand, right, that this resurrection brought something else new. It loosed us from the pains of physical death. No one else could have done it. In Acts 2, it says, Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. The Bible says that we have been bondage, We've been held in bondage through fear of death our whole lives. This is what we mean when we say we are now children who are free. If the Son is set free, live as free, not no longer bonded by the world or bonded by death. We no longer have to fear death. I am reminded that, you know, is death that we no longer have to fear. But how we die, that's another story. I still remember my good friend Henry Sardinia. I think he had cancer or something in his eye or something like that. And he was telling me how he was a little scared and being the punk someone I was in my 20s, he said, uh, aren't we not supposed to be afraid of death? He looked at me and said something like, you're absolutely crazy. He goes, I don't fear death. The way I die, yeah, I'm scared. <laughs> He goes, don't ever forget that you're a human. And this one that went to Calvary was human, right? It's not like Jesus was sitting there on the cross going, that fear of death, there's something else once we pass that we have a solid foundation on that we rise again. This new life, that comes through the resurrection is based on Scripture. Turn to Acts chapter 13. We'll start in verse 26. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know Him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning Him. And though they found no cause for His death in Him, they asked Pilate that He should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all the tree and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee, Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declared to you glad tidings, that promise which God made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this. It is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son. 
I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead no more to return to corruption. You understand that this new life that is given to us through the resurrection is based on Scripture. The plan is not new. That this is what is said, that they actually fulfill what the prophets of old have been talking about. This has always been His sovereign plan, that He would be the one. He would be the one to be the sacrifice. He would be the one to take the punishment. Remember our gospel uh, kind of uh, main passage there in First Corinthians. Scriptures. He was buried and rose again on the not doing something new. He was fulfilling it. He was fulfilling what had been talked about for so long. The Scriptures have always been and will always be the foundation of the resurrection. Without the Scriptures, it's not foretold that He would do it. God did not sit there and say, well, they killed Him, now let's rise from the dead. It was prophesied for thousands of years. How important is Scriptures in our lives. Guys, this is again just one more, the millionth reason why we as a people, if we say we believe in the resurrection, have to get involved in the Scriptures. We have to. Jesus did nothing outside of them. The fact that He was raised on three days was for temple uh, and I'll rise again in three days. All those things talked of Him. When you talk about newness of life, here's the new part. You were dead in your sin, but now as a believer, you put your stake in the Scriptures and the promises of God. You cannot go outside of the book. You can't. This one that you claim is raised from the dead is fulfilling the Scriptures. How do you know God loves us? Because the Bible says so. That's why. How do I know He's coming back? Because the Bible says so. How do I know that He's conquered death? Because the Bible says so. How do we know any truth? What the Bible says. We have to be a people of the book. And so maybe again on Easter Sunday, maybe we could get stirred up. We could just get stirred up and say, I need more of the book. I need more of it in my life. I had a friend at work, and it bothered me. I think I've shared the story with some of you. Again, he, he was talking to me about his church, and I, and I just was talking to him, and I was sharing a few more verses with him. And he said, see, he goes, you know the stories. He goes, you actually know the stories in the Bible. He goes, my church doesn't teach that. Guys, if we're not following the book, what are we following? You remember I spoke last week that religion rejected a king. They obviously were not following scriptures. <laughs> or I guess you could say in God's well they were, but deep. Deep. You get outside of this book and you get into trouble. You have to know that when walking in newness of life, you've got to go by the book. 
You have to. In Colossians 3 verse 1, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. The resurrection is the thing that is the epitome, kind of like the case closed, that God has conquered the world. He's now King of kings and Lord of lords. Satan and death are two biggest enemies through everything they could at the Son of Man. And He conquered it. He conquered it. That's why if we are raised with Christ and we are to walk in this newness of life, that's why we seek those things which are above. That's why this world doesn't hold on to us. That's why we sit there and go, well, what does heaven think of that? Remember when He taught us how to pray, He said, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What do I do as a believer? You do what heaven does. Whatever's going on in heaven right now, Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of God. Whatever is happening up there, that's what we do down here. What's happening in heaven? People are praising Him. That's what we do down here. Is there anyone arguing with the Lord sitting at the right hand? No. They say, what, Your Majesty? That's what we do. That's His will. That what happens down here on earth is the exact representation of what's already happening up in heaven. Because we have been raised and seated with Him in the heavenly places. And so we forget this world. All the things He has set us free from, from the bondage and all the sin and all the nasty darkness, He set us free. He's King of kings and He's Lord of lords. And that's why we set our mind on things above. That's why in our conversations and our talking, we talk about the Lord. He's been raised, and we have been raised with Him. Born anew. What about this lively hope in 1 Peter? Born anew to a living hope. Living. We've heard this sometimes before, that hope is not just hoping for something. It's a confident expectation held on with eagerness. Man, I can't wait for this. That's what happened when you got saved. Inside of you, Jesus Christ came to dwell and gave you a living hope. One of the verses that I've been um, just loving lately again is in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 31. The religious leaders again are questioning him. Talking about the resurrection of the dead. It says in verse 31, But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. You know, my whole life I've read this verse and it was just one of those things. I saw there and said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are not dead. And that's what God's saying. When I sit there and say, I'm the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, I am not sitting there talking about these guys in the past that have died. They're alive with me right now. I am God of Abraham. He's with me. I'm God of Isaac, and I'm God of Jacob. He's God of Megan. 
He's God of Elizabeth. And all the lost ones that we have lost here, down here on earth, they're alive if they put their faith and trust in Him. They're no longer dead. He's not a God who sits there and just appeases and says, sorry for your loss. He's trying to beg us. He's begging us, saying, listen, don't you get it? I'm not the God of the dead. I'm God of the living. They're still just separated. And that is the great hope of the believer. That our lost ones that are loved, we can reunite with them one day. It's not a cliche. It's something that's a living hope inside of us. That we can actually say it and not try to have Christianese. Not try to sound spiritual. But there's a truth to say, these people that have gone before us are alive. Alive. Alive now more than they've ever been. And that's our living hope. We don't mourn like the world does. We don't. It's just a separation for now. It's just a separation. This living hope, does it apply today? Is the resurrection applicable today? Is it just an old story? Does it have the ability to change our attitude? A man approached a Little League baseball game one afternoon. He asked a boy in the dugout what the score was. The boy responded, 18 to nothing, we're behind. Wow, said the spectator. I bet you're a little discouraged. Why should I be discouraged, said the boy. We haven't even got up to bat yet. It's a living confidence that we have that changes our attitude and changes our perspective in the middle of separation and loss and grief. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. We will start in verse 19. The background here is Elisha the prophet is with a Shunammite woman, and he's been traveling there. And actually, uh, her and her husband couldn't have a baby. And he prays, and she has a son. And picking up as the child is growing older in verse 19, it says, And he said to his father, My head, verse 20 of chapter 4, And when he had taken him and brought him, to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the to come back. So he said, Why are you going to him today? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, It is donkey and the man of God with you is it well with your husband is it well with your child and she answered it is well 
Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said, Did I not ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. And Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child. But there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, there was a child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became worn. He returned and walked back and forth in the house, and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite woman. So he called her. And when she came into him, he said, Pick up your son. And so she went in, fell at his feet, bowed down to the ground, and she picked up her son and went out. Here is a woman, because of her faith in God, who was barren, had a miracle happen, and then out of the blue, one day, her son dies for no apparent reason. And when asked, how is she doing, by her husband and by the servant, her response is, it is well. Now, if you look at the passage, Elisha said, Right there, I'm trying to find the verse. Let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. The living hope of the Christian is that you can actually be confident, say it is well. The hope of the Christian is that you can be in deep distress and honestly because I serve a risen Savior. It's not like the distress didn't come, but she trusted that the man of God would not do such a thing. She knew God had power, power to make her bear. Remember what she said, I told you, don't deceive me. There was a point where she sat there and said, listen, don't say these things. They're too hard for me to hear. I wanted to say I'm going to get a child if I'm not going to get one. And now she gets what she wants, and the child's taken away. And she still has the ability to say, it is well. How do you think the great hymn writer wrote it? It is well with my soul. Everyone hears the story. He had great loss when he wrote it. How do people over and over, Christians over and over, who can lose so much, actually... It's because of the resurrection. It's because of the resurrection. It brings on a whole new way of living. She reminds me when she says, do not be deceived of the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 27, 
In verse 62 it says this. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I'll rise again. So give the order that the tomb be secured until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And this last deception would be worse than the first. Do you think Jesus really deceived us? You really think he was just a normal man. He never really rose from the grave. It was just all one big lie. That's the opposite of a living hope. It's a lie. What would be his motivation for deceiving us? If Jesus was really a man, and he wasn't God... And he walked here on earth. What's his end game? What's the motivation for tricking us? Was it for money? He died poor. Was it for fame? He let go of it. Remember when he said in front of Pontius Pilate, if this kingdom, if this earth was my kingdom, I'd have all the power that he showed through the miracles of raising Lazarus from the dead and that power. And he looked absolutely powerless on the cross. What's his motivation if it's all a lie? Unless it's true that he came as the Lamb of God and he showed great and mighty wonders and he healed the sick and he fulfilled Scripture and he became the wrath of of God poured out on him. There is no deception. He is the truth. It's back in the beginning of 1 Peter 1.3. Praise be to the God of our Father who in His abundant us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. It's His love and it's His love and compassion that made Him go through such depths for us. When we look at the resurrection, don't think it's just something of Him trying to fulfill Scripture. Don't think it's Him trying to conquer something. He didn't have to prove anything to us. It is nothing more than a picture of His abundant mercy for us. Saying, look at the depths that I went through for you. And I want you when I rise again. That's his motivation. Direction to be personal. It's Easter. Do you actually know that his motivation for dying and rising again was love for you? That after all this, the Bible says, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. God rejects you. All he wanted to do was have, Jesus Christ wanted you to be with him in heaven forever. 
He said, the way to get there is through me. Believe on me. But if you don't want any part of me, the only other place you have to go is hell. I'll tell you this, though. is I don't want to be everything that the Savior has done for me. That His mercies are new every morning. And His faithfulness is great. Lord Jesus Christ, thank You for who You are. Thank You that You are. You have lived, You have died, and You will live forevermore. Lord, I pray again that You would do a work in our heart. Do something and say, no, I don't feel like it. I pray that you would renew us with resurrection power. That you would help us to obey. you would help us to fall in love with you. You would help us to see your truth. In your name, Amen.